Hello and welcome to the next episode of Anomaly Presents, the podcast that gives you an idea of the mayhem that you're going to see November 8th, 9th, and 10th at the Cinema Theater in Rochester, New York. My name is Matt Knotts. Tonight we're doing Hook and we have a room full of people. This is an absolutely incredible murderer's row. We have quite the Motley crew here tonight. We've got guests here tonight. We've got Kara Austin. We've got Anna McCabe. And then our... our co-conspirators, our, our anomaly party planners, hook obsessives, hook dissenters. We're all in the room tonight. So Matt DeTurk is here. Adam Lubito is here. Vanessa Cheeks is here. Eric Meyer is here. Aaron Murphy is here. Let's get to it. It's Hook. John Williams. That's all. <laughs> the number one reason I'm here. <laughs> so yeah, El Spielbergo comes out in 1991, right, everybody? 91. Yep, yep. Everybody's got notes. It's pretty wild. <laughs> this, this is the most serious show we've done. So coming off the back of Always, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we're making Hook, the you know storied tale of man who goes into fantasy world to rescue his children from an evil pirate. You've seen it before, but never with Robin Williams. Here we go. (laughs) So what I've learned about this, as we've talked about Hook, is it's very divisive. Um, Some people love it. Some people hate it. Most people that love it, love it unconditionally, probably because they saw it as kids. So let's get right to it. I don't know that we have to go over the plot of Hook. I don't think that's necessary. So much. I I feel like (laughs) if, if you owned a television in the last 25 years, you've seen Hook on TV. If not, take a moment and watch it. All what? right, so it starts. We're in this <laughs> play, and it's this like school play that's happening. Do you get it? Because it's like kids, and they're doing Peter Pan, and but Peter Pan, he's missing it, right? He's sitting... no. <laughs> continue. How is the room split right now with people who love it or hate it? I, mean, I think somebody's on an island over here. <laughs> I love Hook. I love Hook. I love Hook. I love Hook. Love it unconditionally. <laughs> Are you raising your hand? No, uh, my sister is showing her phone and says, Hook is just fine. (laughs) Um, um, I love Hook, but upon rewatching it, um, have some reflections. It does not take away from that love, but I have some questions. I don't understand. That I, would like to I, I don't understand. Okay, and I hear, Aaron, I hear you, Vanessa. I hear you, <laughs> and I love you. But I'm here to discuss. I still love Hook. I do not love Hook. <laughs> okay. Here it is. I am alone on an island. I know. We need to pause the podcast at this point and um, remove someone from the process. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> And I'm in the Megan Murphy camp. It's fine. It's it's whatever. It's my mom's favorite movie. Whoa. So yeah, mom. Yes. She she's. But knowing your mom, I'm surprised because it has so many characters to remember their names. But they all look so different, and that's what helps. <laughs> Large majority of them you just refer to as the Lost Boys, and that's like 50 characters you don't have to remember names for. Or by their hair color or something. I will admit, in this process, I learned more of their names when I was looking them up. Because I was like, I feel like I should refer to them by their names. And then I was like, and then I just stopped writing them down because they were, there was too much nonsense. No, what, it's Rum Tum and Skin Tag and fucking. Hey, 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 hey. It's Don't Ask and Thud Butt. 
Don't even start with this. The names of the Lost, by, uh, Lost Boys occupy the same space in my brain as the names of all the Newsies. <laughs> yeah, I, once we got to No Nap, I was like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> so, Eric, what are the names of the Lost Boys? <laughs> Don't ask, bud, but there's Rufio. Um, that's kind of where I fall off. Yeah. But there's like, there's got, there's the Italian looking one. He's like, he looks like he's 40 years old, and he's kind of. His got name the... is Don't Ask, and he's actually the second oldest of them. Yeah, he looks it. Too. You don't say. <laughs> Matt, what are the names of the Lost Boys? There's Sorry. Toodles. I, when I was reading about it, I found out that, yeah, the kid who plays Don't Ask in the pinstripe suit, yeah, yeah he said that they were looking for people, or kids, around the age of, like, 7 to, like, 11, and he's 14 in this film. Like, he was like, well, I'm too old, and they were like, nah, you don't look that old, so come on over. He's 14? He's 14. He looks like he showed up on set after buying a pack of smoke. Like... <laughs> But in this, the tiniest one is too small. Um, the one who says, Good night, Avaland! And he's sick. The one that you think is annoying. That's oh, he's the cutest <laughs> one. He's six, I don't though. understand. Like... He's a child. I... But it's he's a scruffy little child. baby. Like, I'm going to be adorable now. Look at me. And it worked. I don't understand. I don't understand. Can I move? I don't Can think I he was trying. I think that's just how he was. We, that's actually how he was, because that's in the in the list. Like, he is now an indie filmmaker. <laughs> well, they did. Yes, they did. But he said that his audition was he came in, and they were like, why are you here? And he stamped his foot down on the floor, put his hands on the table, and he said, you're going to cast me in this movie. <laughs> done son uh, they're like oh, oh okay <laughs> Spielberg went okay <laughs> this explains a lot of Spielberg's decisions later in life <laughs> Ernie Klein did the same thing 20 years later apparently how many toddlers could you fight off for sorry shots zero. <laughs> the thing that I thought was interesting about Spielberg on this since we're talking about Spielberg is that I feel like this is again as someone who loves Hook but does acknowledge has a lot of problems personally um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Spielberg directed Peter Pan on stage when he was 11 years old. Like, it was the first thing he ever directed. Like, I feel like that's this, one of those senses about something that you've wanted to do for so long as, like, an artist that then perhaps gets away from you when you <laughs> actually get to realize that final vision. I just thought that was really, like fascinating that like he started it and stopped it so many times like the i have a question do we know why he didn't just do a peter pan movie why did he do (laughs) yes uh we actually do know that and that (laughs) the answer to that is that they were developing it just as straight peter pan with michael jackson which i thought was fascinating as peter pan that was the weird thing that i found when i was looking up stuff yeah um but just a little side note on that was that when i found this article it reported in 2003 that Jackson had paid a witch doctor to put a curse on Spielberg, among others, because of his lingering resentment about that movie not happening. <laughs> Valid. Valid Bananas. That can't be that true. That explains Hook. <laughs> Fair point. I'm going to say something controversial. I think Hook is the best Peter Pan movie Oh. Ever and I can't think of a movie out there that like surpasses it in terms of the Peter Pan mythology. I, Even going back to the Disney cartoon, I'm sorry. Oh, I, think, I think the Disney cartoon has to be struck out of existence. I don't know if anyone has rewatched that recently, but we borrowed it from the library to watch with our three year old. Problematic. And I, oh, it's horrible. Problematic. It's absolutely horrible. 
I was like, I didn't know how to stop it quickly without him asking more questions as to why we were stopping it. So it's just kind of like, we'll play and just never speak of it again. Yeah. <laughs> Do you count the Mary Martin play on TV in that one? Oh, oh. good point. I love that movie. Oh, <laughs> love it. Love it. How yes. could you not? Yeah. I would vote the 2003 PJ Hogan Peter Pan as the best because mm. it is wonderful and adds, t- tells a story and plays up the subtext that like every other version leaves out and i love it so much it's beautiful as much as i love hook i actually agree i think the pj hogan one is actually the best on-screen version of peter pan i love it i like that one as well there's so much anger in me (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) what is happy i will say well i mean to be fair hook is not a peter pan movie it is a peter pan sequel True, true, true. But I guess what I guess it just captures the the spirit or the essence the best, yeah. even more so than most ones that are called Peter Pan or Pan. Also, that hook is so one dimensional, man. Our hook in Hook is like trying to commit suicide, and he's Jason having like Isaacs? a midlife crisis. Oh my God, Dustin Hoffman blows him out of the water. That is insane. <laughs> are you serious like, right now? I like Dustin Hoffman's hook, but he's there's going to be a fist fight over here again. <laughs> Eric as, is vibrating. There are so many. There are so many layers to Jason Isaacs. Hook. To be fair, though, Jason Isaacs versus Dustin Hoffman. I mean, I, I look at Dustin, Ho- Dustin Hoffman reading like the Denny's menu. <laughs> Jason Isaacs, eh, fine. Well, that's incorrect too. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like for for the the what is that one? PJ, what's his face? PJ Hogan. PJ Souls. I've only seen. <laughs> I only watched that one once ever, and I watched it, and it was nice, but it gave me the sads real bad, and I was like, I, that's what I love about uh, it. No, it's got the melancholy that I think is a part of Peter Pan that it, most versions go. We don't want to deal with that. I didn't want to deal with it. I did not want to deal Because even, like, I read the book, and I was like, I love this book. Look how cute this book is. It had all that. But it was a book. I expected it. But because, you know, I grew up watching the Mary Martin version, I lo- I've i seen Hook so many times. I love that, I, I don't know, the sads. It made me so uncomfortable. I was like, oh, no, no, done with this. We'll never see it again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really love the book when I read it. Like, I like the movies because they focus more on, like, the adorable aspects of childhood, and the book, he was 100% the a-hole parts of childhood. Like, where you're like, I would probably strangle this child if I had to live in a house with him, or be near him. And it it focused less on, oh, he's cute and fun, and more of, like, the, the really selfish, obnoxious, Peter. undeveloped child brain. And I was like, you know what, maybe, like, the pirates are right, and you guys should just go home and grow up a take little a bit like, yeah take a nap <laughs> eat some vegetables kind of the the genesis of the show was, was having eric come in and talk about <laughs> why this is his his you know desert island movie or one of them i don't want to put words in your mouth yeah Truffaut, godard you know all these hacks can uh <laughs> step aside <laughs> Spielberg and Hook is doing more than 400 Blows was doing. Spielberg and Hook is doing more than, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, I love those guys, but. Who doesn't? But yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. So yeah, let, let's open up the dance floor a little bit and, and talk about why why this is an important movie for I mean, you're sitting there wearing the Hook on home video pin. So yeah. that that's some ephemera I don't know that we really knew was still in existence. So. Yeah, someone gave me this. I think it was someone from Fright Rags, but I was like, thank you. Uh, but they worked at a movie theater, and when Hook was shown, they were like, oh, yeah, got this from there. So, um, yeah, Hook is just 
what's kind of crazy, at least for me, because I know the consensus is like, oh, if you like the movie, you saw it as a child and then you grew up and that's the nostalgia that you have. But there's a lot of movies I saw as a child that I loved and then you watch now and you're like, oh, this is like a piece of shit and pretty terrible. I think with Hook, every time I rewatch it, I'm like, oh, this still holds up and still is interesting. And then when like I compare and contrast it to modern day films that are in the same realm or same summer blockbuster, I think Hook is doing more compelling things and more interesting things with its characters and its themes, even its story structure than most mainstream films. Um, Man, I could go on forever. I feel like I'm just going to be here <laughs> no, it's, talking this is, about this. This is great. The one interesting thing I'll bring up, just to start a discussion on it, um, Hook and Jaws have a lot of similar qualities, at least that I see, which Jaws is another film. It's called Jaws, and it's about a shark. <laughs> hook. It's like this single word, like, Hook. Yeah, yeah, put down some notes. Both played by Justin Hoffman. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman's uh, strongest role before Tootsie, I think, yeah. was Bruce the Shark. <laughs> but one of the cool things, and Spielberg is notorious for doing this, is that build-up, and it's a suspense, and it's like building up a character so they're not just walking on screen in a flat two-shot, and you're like, oh, here's the villain. Instead, it's like in Hook, you hear people talk about him. You see the Merrill, the stained glass Merrill, and you see like a picture of him. And then when he connects the kids, it's like, oh, you don't see him doing that. You see the walls all torn up. Which is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. It's terrified me as so a kid. So terrifying. Like Liza, like screaming about, like, and the children. And, and I'm like, ah! like, oh my God, like the green smoke. Yeah. Love the kidnapping. Yeah. Uh, in Hook. <laughs> yeah, in Hook. In no, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were watching, we were saying there's a lot of close encounters to that. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, when you watch the kids get kidnapped themselves, like you don't see what's happening, but it's terrifying. It's all happening kind of like off screen. Yeah, the, the lights and the terror and yeah, that that that's good. I think that's well done. He leaves a note on the door with a sword yes. and he signs his name and oh, they read perfect. it, but still you haven't seen him and you're like, what is going on? He doesn't even on? obey the rule of if you're under the blankets, you're safe. Yeah. He, he takes sure the blankets. doesn't. Yeah, he's total creepy. <laughs> he's a psychotic. But then even going further than that, it's like you're still denied seeing who Hook is or seeing his presence. Even when we get to Neverland, it's like they dedicate a whole parade to his Hook, his physical weapon, and they're marching it to him. It's like, Jesus, they're just building it and building it. And then once you think you're going to see Captain Hook, they delay it even further because then Shmi comes out and he rallies up the troops he's like hey guys i'm gonna tell you a little bit about like your great commander now he's gonna come out and i think that's so rad because other films would have done something where it's like oh let's just show the villain he'll step in through a door here's captain hook let's move on and i think this built such a richer mythology it's just interesting filmmaking opposed to just uh one and done but i i would argue that the the threat and the menace that it builds up isn't live up to once you actually meet Captain Hook. Like, I don't find that Dustin Hoffman's version of Hook like, he doesn't seem like a threat. They kind of play him as like kind of a buffoon, kind of an old man, kind of past his prime. Like, he's not a threat anymore. Which to me, that's kind of rad that he comes out, I would say he is a threat if anyone wants to chime in. He shoots one of his own people, he puts someone in a boo box and like puts but scorpions on for them. comedy. He kills uh, a child. Yeah, he, he does a kill a child at the end. Like, I think what's rad about that, though, is that... <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Wow. 
let's say Rufio is a whole thing. (laughs) And I think there's something ruthless about the fact that his main goal is is to turn Peter Pan's child against him and to not kill him, but to steal him and steal his affection and love, which is the one thing that that adult, you know, Peter Panning wants is to have his, you know, to be a, a valued member and a good father of his family. It's technically Smee's idea, but <laughs> <laughs> then he says, "Ooh, I had a good idea." I'm just, you know, technically very true. Yeah. But he he goes along with the plot. No, he does. So as we yes. said, MVP of the movie is Bob Hoskins. It's me. Oh, well, hundred percent. No, but I think Hook is such like an interesting character because he isn't just scary bad guy who's evil. He has he has like a midlife crisis where he's like, man, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been killing Lost Boys. Like, what am I even doing? I should just kill myself. Also, this dude that just came to Neverland named Peter Banning, who's supposed to be Peter Pan's, not living up to any expectation of any fulfilling like fight or battle. So why even bother with this? And I think that's kind of. Like, I can't see that happening in most modern movies where the villain's having this crisis of like, oh, man, this is kind of lame. I want to do something. It's not really working out. So oh, death yeah. is my option. Yeah. I I also, this has been very much my MO on this podcast, is I'm also a huge fan of the theatricality of both, not just his performance, but of Hook's persona in this case. Like, the moment I laugh the loudest in, like, the first third of this movie is when he refuses to walk down the stairs until Smee knocks on the floor and creates the red carpet. I just, I love that. Because he's just, he's not even just like, I need you to do this. He's like, what on earth is happening? He's like, where is my carpet? (laughs) Like, I love it. And I think that that for me is one of the really fun choices I think he makes in it. Is that in a movie that has so much visual energy going on in it. Is that I think Dustin Hoffman doesn't get lost amidst the wig and the ship and the set he and the actual like hook mustache you know like i think that he actually like plays into it and still manages to come out with it which i think is great i think too it's like pretty on brand in the book he is he's all about propriety he's all about like bad form you have to do things the right way and so this i think is just that hyperbole of what what kids would think that looks like and it just turns out it's Dustin Hoffman being absolutely ridiculous and I loved it I just loved every minute of it because you're right he then you do see the sad part of him and then the evil part of him and it's all wrapped up into this very complex character that you love sometimes and then other times you're like this motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) these are children and then sometimes you're like kids come on stop to stop. Yeah, he's like the caricature of adulthood. Like exactly. If, if yeah. a bunch of little kids were playing Peter Pan in school, they'd be like, and the bad guy is our teacher who does, he talks really stupid and he does this and mm-hmm. he's boring and he wants to do everything the right way and we just want to have fun. Yeah. And, and I mean, that is, I think, also why in that case, traditionally, like whoever plays, you know, Wendy's dad also plays Peter Pan in that case. So. Oh, yes. Sorry. Not that, that would be fascinating. That's a good one. Yeah. Mary Martin has an, had an incredible career. <laughs> and here's, here's my question that it kind of switched subject off of um, Hook himself. But thank you. Um, what I kind of started seeing and started questioning was, you know how uh, Jack, that's his son's name, yeah. right? Yeah. He starts to start forgetting. Remember, and they're like, home run, or sorry, run home. And they're like, oh, that's backwards. Because to help him remember, his sister had said, you know, run home, run home. Why wasn't she forgetting like he was forgetting? 
because the movie does not give a fuck about her. <laughs> she also, does not matter. She doesn't want to forget, and Jack does, because Jack okay. feels very neglected by his dad, and Hook is like, I can be your dad, and I'll give a shit. And he's like, that's awesome. Preaching. And the daughter's like, no, mom and dad really care about me, and you're just a weird pirate guy who's kidnapping strange children, and I'm not going to buy into that. Also, I the movie does not care about her. He's a mean old man who needs his mommy. Yeah. So, that's real. Coming Preach off it, Maggie. Back, <laughs> coming off the back of that, let me just read something from a review that came out at the time. Um, and I'll tell you who the critic is afterward. Uh, the sad thing about the screenplay for Hook is that it's so correctly titled. This whole construction is really nothing more than a hook on which to hang a new version of the Peter Pan story. No effort is made to involve Peter's magic in the changed world he now inhabits. Little thought has been given to Captain Hook's extraordinary persistence in wanting to revisit the events of the past. Who do I have to fight? Who? Yeah. Who? Who? <laughs> so let, let's just take a guess. Who who wrote Rod, that? Roger Ebert. Yeah, Adam nailed Lubitone. it. M1. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that. Also just a mean, just a mean old man. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, because as we said, the the you know, the the stereotype is that the people who saw this movie as a kid are the ones who love it. I saw it as a kid. I saw it in the theater. I didn't like it then. I still don't like it. Sorry, I have to give Maggie some love. One, she's like developed even further because she gets an F. Like Captain Hook gives her an F and she freaks out. You understand that her studies are important to her. She also sings to the pirates and the pirates are so overwhelmed by this. They're like, oh, that's rad. The Oscar nominated song, When You're Alone. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible Oscar nominated song. And as we discussed while watching the movie, the only reason she gets that song is because at some point they realized they didn't give her anything to do. So we might as well let her sing this terrible no, song. No, going back to the point we made earlier, she she's in tune with her grandmother. Like, she's the one reading the story with her under the tent. She's the one who's interested in this mythology more so than Jack, who's going through some growing pains and being A little a shit kid, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's just a kidnap victim. All she had to, like, they didn't have to show her at all. It was mostly about Jack's relationship with his dad. Yeah. It just happened that Jack had a sister who also got kidnapped. Well, then why? Why make make that character? (laughs) It doesn't matter by your own admission. Jack be a single child. Like, it's more involved, I guess, if you have You can't go from three children to Your logic is unraveling. (laughs) So that there was a girl. So that there was a girl that the girls could root for. But and that gets into that gets back into just the whole Peter Pan weird relationship with female characters. Like I feel like there's a whole I'm sure people have written about women and Peter Pan. Yeah. But I think also Maggie is the thread that keeps Jack from completely losing touch with the life outside of Neverland. Exactly. So without Maggie, Cook would have just overtaken him completely, you know, and he'd be Hook's like Hook Junior. Maggie's the one who keeps reminding him of their parents and that this isn't right, that they should go home. I'm not saying that's the I'm not I saying that's a glamorous like, role. But yeah, then she's just sort of the And this, it could have easily been a little brother device, telling yeah. the plot tool instead of an actual Aren't character. we all plot devices and plot tools? <laughs> also there's Tinkerbell people. I don't think like so. we're focusing on Maggie, but Tinkerbell is like a great, interesting character oh, with a lot of depth. No, no, you don't want to go down that road. Oh, we're down it. We're, 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 we're <laughs> already be gone. I hear it. Tinkerbell go is the worst part of this movie. Wow. I completely agree. I hate Julia Roberts in this role. It's my least favorite part of this film. I will not defend Tinkerbell in this movie at all. Yeah, I, I, I don't liked, have a problem with Tinkerbell in this movie. I like Julia I Roberts, but she is so miscast in this. And every cutaway to her, like, grinning and laughing at 
burping is just oh it's so terrible I, I just want to say with that is that that's one of those things that I was to say is that I again also liking Julia Roberts generally but I just in this as an example of I realized that there's a lot going on and tones and styles and blah 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 but for me Julia Roberts is the part of this that doesn't feel integrated into the mythos that it has established. Agreed. She feels like she's coming from the like the 80s like into this and that's the part of it I don't like it. But the part I thought was interesting about her in this... Eight pages of notes later. <laughs> Russell, Russell, Russell. Is that um, this was at the height of Carrie Fisher's script doctoring. And so she rewrote almost all of Tinkerbell's lines to give her more humor and personality. I don't necessarily think it works, no offense to Carrie Fisher, but I thought that was interesting that the script didn't already have good Tinkerbell material, and this is the rewritten Tinkerbell material we've gotten from there. While we're talking about Carrie Fisher, I might as well establish the fun fact that she and George Lucas are the kissing couple on the bridge, which I think is so fun. When they're flying to Neverland at the beginning, it's her and George Lucas. (laughs) And there's that whole weird scene where she gets big and tells Peter she loves him, and it's just yeah, that's a little that part is a little bit creepy because she knew him as a child for a very long time. Nothing to me about Tinkerbell works in this movie. In our household, when we had the VHS, that was the part we fast forwarded because it just made us feel really confused and kind of (laughs) gross. But in like the other, the other versions of Peter Pan Tink doesn't have any lines like in the cartoon she's actually animated but in a lot of the others she's like just a light mm-hmm. with the, bell sounds yeah in the I say the PJ Hogan one in that case she makes kind of like just like high pitched thing me, 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 like kind of beaker <laughs> noises yeah yeah she's, a, she's yeah she's an actor like she's played by an actress but yeah she doesn't but have since any she's lines. Peter's guide through returning to Neverland they had to make her a character when she wasn't one before yeah, and it's kind of rad, too, because going back to Tinkerbell never had lines, and even the Disney version's, like, even more problematic. And I know that sucks to be like, well, the Hook version's less problematic than the other versions, but in this iteration, it's like, oh, shit, Tinkerbell, in the text or in the Disney cartoon, is obsessed with Peter, jealous even. Uh, in this one, yeah, she likes him, but she wants him to, like, fulfill something. She's kind of being his Jiminy Cricket, his guide. And then they put in kind of the jealousy, not as jealousy, but as affection and love and being like, your life's full of tragedy. Like that monologue in the the tree fort where he goes back and remembers everything. She's like, man, your life kind of sucked. Like you grew up and it was just your parents abandoned you. And then you came here and you dealt with this shit. And then you went and like nothing made you happy. And I think that's kind of rad because she is a little bit of the chorus and a little bit of on his shoulder kind of guiding him, which is cool. I just want to take a side tangent from that to say that amidst all of the, you know, uh, wonderful insanity within this, that um, for me, my personal absolute favorite moments of this movie, though, are the quiet, intimate, like really emotional core moments in it. Um, the the face of pan moment where Pockets comes over and goes, oh, there you are, Peter. Um, that whole memory sequence within Wendy's house, like gets me every time like it's those that's where i feel like you then talk about like the strengths of spielberg as a director and in that case that we know spielberg does good emotion but my god even within this he does such good emotion 
also aided by John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> That's because John Williams does a lot of heavy lifting on the emotion in this movie. Oh, no way, man. Come on. Uh, Thudbutt and Peter's... <laughs> Like, yes. are we forgetting Thudbutt getting rolled down the bridge? Movie. Like, that made me cry. Wait, one fun Thudbutt moment <laughs> is that uh, in the Lost Boy article that Matt and I were talking about before this started, which we'll link on the website, um, with an interview with the Lost Boys 25 years later, um, they talked about how all of the, you know, parents for all the Lost Boys were, you know, just off camera and everything and were there on set, but they purposely kept from them who was getting the sword when Peter left Neverland. So all the parents not only had a running bet going about who was going to get it, but also that they said that all of them off camera gasped audibly when they finally did the first take of that to find out that it was Thudbot, which I just think is so cute. I just, I love that. Oh. <laughs> was it Thudbot just because, like, Taint Stain couldn't get it? or <laughs> That's yeah. no Taint Stain, mister. <laughs> Uh, that scene's great, though, the the passing of the coconut sword. Like, another rad detail. Whoever came up with the idea for the sword, genius. Um, but there's a cool mythology. It's like when Peter comes back, Rufio's in charge. And it's like, oh, that's rad. At some point, he took over the Lost Boy division. And then at the end, they don't just go, oh, okay, he saved his kids and flies away. They even give a moment to be like, oh, we're going to continue this. He gets the sword. You know, Thudbuck gets the sword, and now I'm going to leave. Just those small details were... I feel like a lot of scripts are rushed out after their first or second draft, and those are the things you don't catch or think about to be like, hey, let's tie this up. It's not necessary, but it does build, I don't know, it builds a cool feeling to it. I just wanted to say, in case Matt didn't know on this case, one of those things, it's just because I thought of you, is that um, one of the original like co-developers like developers of this and who was supposed to direct it is Nick Castle. So, yeah, so it was supposed to be the director of The Last Starfighter and Escape from New York is who was supposed to direct this, which I thought would have been fascinating. I want to see that movie. Ditto, yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to see that version. He Dean received... Cundy did shoot uh, Hook, though, and he shot Halloween. Oh, did he And Nick really? Castle played, obviously, Michael Myers in right. Halloween, so there is still a Halloween connection there. I didn't realize it was Dean Cundy. That explains why I like the way it looks, because I love everything he does, but yeah. Huh. Now, Aaron, you had a point? <laughs> I keep seeing you go to the microphone, and you can't get there quick enough, I'm so, so sorry. No, I, yeah. I, I don't want to interrupt Matt. He has such passion in his voice. And his facial expressions waiting for the mic. And 40 pages of notes. And 40 pages of notes. <laughs> On that note of you enjoying the little moments, I think the part with Rufio dying and his death scene, I think is incredible. Not only because Robin Williams incredibly acts that, but uh, the, the youngster who's playing Rufio and the... Huh? Dante Bosco. Dante Thank you. Bosco. Thank you so much. I knew someone was going to come in there. I was just waiting for who it was going to be. Eric or Matt. Um, and, and, and how that kind of um, worked itself out and then him getting up and, and just that rage in Robin Williams' face of revenge and going towards Hook. And then, I don't know if anyone noticed, but for a second, Hook's face was of this shock. If you look at that back again, there's this look of... What just happened? Wow. Like, oh, this is this is what I wanted. This is what I. I mean, that's how I read it. 
as if, oh, this is, this is what I've been looking for. Let's do this. So, I mean, that's how I read that look, but it's just like a micro expression that I caught the, this, this time that I watched it yesterday. Which is I, cool. Oh, sorry, you go. Oh no. Go ahead, I, Adam. Go I, ahead and shit all over a child's head. <laughs> That's I'm about to I go feel for like it. Spout my most controversial opinion. I don't really care for the character of Rufio. All right. Who? I know where you live, and if you guys hear any stories in the news tomorrow, then you know why, and you know it was justified. <laughs> I like him in theory. But I feel like he's not actually, a, he's a costume. He's not a character. Like, mm-hmm. they tell you he's the coolest. Oh my god, he's Rufio. Look at this. Look how cool he looks. He's a little bit of the poochie of the Hook universe. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Kara nailed it. When Rufio is not on screen, everyone should be going, where's Rufio? <laughs> and he died on his way to back to his home planet. <laughs> Yes, I didn't even realize how accurate that is. Rufio is absolutely the Poochie of Huck. Rufio is the most Peter Pan of any character that's been cast in a Peter Mm. Pan movie, if you compare it to the books. He is that little asshole shithead kid who's like the super cool, everyone loves me because I'm super cool because I can do like a, a skateboard flip. And I'll, I'll give the board. middle finger to all of the pirates because um, I don't appreciate adults. That kid is the epitome of 1990. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. That's all that, yeah. And he's 100% what Peter would be if they cast Peter more in line with how he was portrayed in the book. Yeah, and he's like a great, he's a great person for Peter to conquer, right? He's like shitty. He's a brat. He's all these things. So us as kids watching it, or as adult, you're like, fuck that kid. Give that sword to Peter Pan. This guy sucks. And <laughs> yes. I, it's and a good I agree point. with everything you're saying, which is why he's... Ru- Ru- but Ru- I think that's narratively there. why he works within the engine of the script. If he was if he was great and like humble and just like, hey, I got it all together. We're fine without you, dude. Peter Pan would have been like, okay, you got it covered. I'm getting the fuck out of Dodge. I'm going back to England. no problem. I don't need him to be humble or anything. I just need him to be an actual character rather than he's there to do this, to be the, you know, antagonist at first against Peter and then to legitimize him when he accepts him and then to die to get, to motivate him. That's his only purpose. He's not an actual character. It's a rare kid that you see get fridged. So it's kind it's, of fun. It's true. Yeah, that's, that's it's fair. It's also like I'll the self-insert character for all the kids watching it. It is I, something I to aspire to. I just a, wish yeah, they had... It's a blank had... series, a blank slate, so kids can be like, I'm Rufio, I'm the coolest kid, and this old guy wants to take my sword, and I don't appreciate that. He has to prove himself to me. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just wish they had, yeah, given him... I think he's perfect little... the way he is. <laughs> and you're wrong. I agree with all that. I also thought it was interesting in that case, recently reading an interview with a bunch of like younger actors um, talking about uh, representation on screen and who they saw when they were, were the kids... And both they and then Donnie Bosco has also talked about being a Filipino-American and how few roles there were for Filipino-Americans in general, but in specifically child actors at the time, and how not just it was a huge deal for him, but then to actually be in the fourth highest grossing <laughs> film and of 1991 um, to have had that kind of mass representation. And not just him, obviously, but all the Lost Boys, but specifically in, in his case, like people were talking about how influential it was for actors now who are you know in their, let's say, 30s and saw him at the time and went, oh man, I could do this too. Mm. Mm, yes. But I think, it, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I will agree that I think that's the best aspect of Rufio is that, yeah, that representation, being able to put that out there. I just wish 
he was a better character as a character. I think I liked him a lot more when when I was nine and watching it as a kid because that you you want to be the coolest person there like Anna said yeah. it's this you know self insertion fan fiction type thing, and you know he comes in on his his sailboat skateboard and you're just like <laughs> whoa yeah I'd follow this guy too but then at like rewatching it I think if I didn't have that nostalgia I would hate him so much because <laughs> he's just a pain in the butt to now the adult who I I identify more with now so. I think, you know, especially if you didn't have that attachment to the movie as a kid, it's, it, I don't see where Rufio grows on you as you get older. <laughs> I will say with his death scene, not to get into that, because that's like heavy, what's kind of rad too, at the end, that whole battle scene, um, a lot of it's kind of like jokey and Home Alone-ish, where it's like, oh, we're going to use marbles on them, or we're going to roll thud butt down, <laughs> down a bridge at a bunch of pirates and hit them like bowling pins. We're going to do crazy things with chicken eggs and be wild. I think you kind of get lost in that, where you're like, oh my gosh, it's so goofy. No one can die. Although Peter Pan does stab a pirate, like, straight up when he first starts fighting <laughs> in the gut, and it's like, oh, you, yeah, you just killed someone. Okay, carry on. Um, but then when Rufio gets stabbed, you're like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. Everyone's being silly. There's marbles. There's It's jokey. So I think that's kind of cool. It sets you up to kind of not expect that, and it kind of shocks you. And you're like, oh, damn. Hook is going to straight up kill a motherfucker if he has to. Mm-hmm. It's like in Ninja Turtles when the foot soldier hits the power box in April's house. Before that, it's all, like, goofy. They're, like, fighting in fish tanks and using symbols. And then it's like, oh, now the apartment's on fire. The music has gotten serious. Now it's a real battle. That's I remember at that point in Ninja Turtles, like I remember the chills I yeah, got. Yeah, I remember like, getting goosebumps when I first saw that. I was like, real. oh my god. <laughs> Same with Rufio. It's like, oh, this isn't just fun anymore. This is for real. They're gonna kill people <laughs> in this movie that's fictional. <laughs> Since we're talking about serious stuff, <laughs> I'm gonna grab my notes. Good checks notes. <laughs> good segue. Thank you. Um, I'm just all over the place here, but, um, I just want to reflect upon, can we talk about the family dynamics with the great grandmother being Wendy and the dad being Peter Pan, correct? And then the granddaughter is Moira, right? Mm -hmm. So technically Peter Pan was loving on your great, your grandmother, right? But then he I came mean, they were was, never in a relationship. It no. was one, <laughs> one kiss between children. No comments at this time. Yeah. <laughs> it's highly disputed. They were never together. <laughs> it was just a thimble exchange. It was just a thimble exchange amongst children. She was more of his mother, which I do have issues with that women being portrayed as mothers. But whatever. Okay, I, right. But still, they, they were never together. So. That's not weird. But, but then all of a sudden, he just falls in love with falls in love sorry thank you falls in love with his her granddaughter and then just was like oh thimbles whatever i'm just gonna kiss her while she's sleeping by the way problematic I mean, her grandmother gave the approval she watched it happen but she so as a person okay, right? in the agency of the person being kissed anyways that's that's another thing uh, a whole nother discussion I mean, that's a whole fairy tale discussion. it's true it's true but it's true. So you're trying. So we're saying Wendy and Peter Pan were never in a. They were never together. They were never together. No. Okay. So that's just not a weird thing at all. I mean. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that's he got said. really I mad about was that she grew up and then he felt betrayed. Yeah. Like she was his, just like the Lost Boys were his, just like Tink was his. Like they're all his accessories for his playing. Mm. And now it's all of a sudden, like, oh, you're a super old lady, you can't play anymore. How dare? And then it's like, oh, now there's another girl who I can. 
play with. <laughs> oh, but like for real. Like for real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After like 500 age, years, I finally hit puberty and I'm going to stay in the real world now. And here's my other question. So he got, um, you know, his stroller went off into the world and he was found by Tink being like a puddle. Okay, where is his parents? So she kidnapped them from the world. No, he ran away from his parents because he didn't want to grow up and become a doctor. Yeah, he mentions he ran away. He We're ran not away, entirely but he's sure a baby. He ra- so, have you ever been the- trapped in the middle of a Walmart in a shopping cart after you climb into it and your friends wander off and leave you? Because you can use your own momentum to scoot around. And I'm not speaking from experience or anything. It's not like two people in this room allowed that to happen to me. But I think that's what he did. Oh, only one. Only one. It was Kara. Okay. Um... But that's like kind of the impression I got. Like he just really, he's like, I don't want to do this. He was crying in the in the pram, and he's like, I don't want this. And then he just kind of scooted magically, it's more, and then the, okay. the pram took off. It, did, it wasn't like an accident so, where he so got as, lost. He so as purposely a, got lost. Okay, cool. So he did it to himself as <laughs> yeah. a newborn. He died. Baby. As, he died as a baby. He could got understand. It. He died English. as a baby. That's what the symbol yet, is most. He, he died as a baby. English. I'm sorry. Say this again. He died as he's a the, like a dead child. As a baby, so it's Neverland is like heaven. It's children. It's yeah. So that's what Wait, it excuse was. Excuse me, what? We're all just staring <laughs> yeah. one eye at Vanessa. That's why like, I'm like, Wait, I'm sorry, I'm not so is Wendy a zombie? <laughs> no, it's like so. So that's the story. That's why he was a baby, and the the pram rolled off. In his head, or in the story, it's it's the parents. He chose to do this. The parents weren't paying attention. He didn't want to grow up. Fun fact: He couldn't grow up because he died as a baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> But he came home and wanted to come home, but then he had another sibling. But that's that's like the whole that's like. But then they forgot my, about my him. whole question. That is, baby's a rainbow baby. Listen, hey. My whole question. <laughs> this is my whole question. Is you're not supposed to grow up in Neverland, but he came there as a baby, and then now he's a teenager. Because he came he back. Like this is my whole question, and, and now I'm just, my mind is blown by this comment. <laughs> you do grow up in Neverland, and you become the pirates. And like, if you get too big, Peter will kick you out of the Lost Boys, like in the book, because it's like you don't fit through the tree anymore. Yeah. So you're too big. So now you're not allowed to play with us. He's not, not a, a nice boy. I don't know well, enough mythos. About uh, I guess you could argue apparently. that Peter himself is a dead kid, but I feel like the other Lost Boys are real children because they do age and grow up and then become pirates. I guess, yeah. I know. Okay, so they do. You do. Peter's age the in awful Neverland. spirit of child. Who never yeah. changes. So here's a very specific reference. The Lost Boys are actually like Menudo. And when you hit 16, you have to Did move on. Did you legit say Menudo? <laughs> Did you legit refer to these children, these Lost Boys, <laughs> abandoned by their families? Meg says Peter is nothing but trouble. <laughs> Speaking of nothing but trouble. Um, <laughs> yes. I think Demi Moore might have been a better character for Tinkerbell, maybe, uh, instead of Julia Roberts. She could have been a pirate like Glenn Close sure, was. Yeah, why not? Let yeah. me throw this out there. Demi Moore is Peter Pan. Oh. oh. Yeah. Not in Hook, though, because it's no. perfect the way it is. Right, sure. <laughs> sure. Why not cast her as Hook? Because I think she'd be a much better Peter Pan. And she's just got Peter Pan energy to me. I think Dustin Hoffman is perfect. I wish Peter oh, yeah, Pan Dustin energy Hoffman was more is. of our frequent I think... lexicon. <laughs> yeah, like, here. Demi Moore, mm-hmm. right? And then, I don't know, Kate Blanchett as Hook? Okay, now I'm in. <laughs> Tilda Swinton is Hook. I was just going there. Yes, yes. I don't know who she plays. She just plays Tilda Swinton. And that's who they all like gang up together. Tilda Swinton is Tink. Yes. Tilda Swinton is Tink. All Tilda Swinton version. Yeah, everyone is Tilda Swinton. Just fully green screened and she's acting all by herself. It's like Com- Malkovich. Coming in Tilda. 2022, Disney presents. <laughs> 
Swinton Pan. Swuck. Swuck. There it is. So, what else did you have, Aaron? There was one more point that you got real excited about just now. Um, the Never Meal. The, the food. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. The Never we are, Feast. We are fully 45 minutes into this, and we have not talked about the food fight. How has that not happened? <laughs> it's every kid's dream, just eating oh. frosting. Yes, it is. <laughs> there was more than frosting. There it was, was majority yeah. frosting. Well, yeah, but I was always impressed that my favorite place when I was a kid was Old Country Buffet because yes. we were middle class in like a poorer area and my grandparents loved it. So we went there all the time. And so I was like, oh my God, they just eat like Old Country Buffet every day. They have like all the cakes and chicken and frosting and every anything they want. They have it every day. This is amazing. My obsession with frosting, anything whipped started because of Hook. Every time, and I see it to this day. I mean, I have frosting tattooed on me. That's how much I love it. When I sent an email to my tattoo artist, I said, I want it whipped just like the the movie Hook in that scene. And I, was, I sent her stills. And I also sent her pictures of cupcakes, obviously, too, to give her an idea, like Disney cupcakes, whatever. But I said, I want it to get this feeling. <laughs> oh, my God. The pie that I brought is even more disappointing now. No. It looks nothing like your tattoo. <laughs> but I mean, some of those those frosting dishes were pretty lackluster. There was like the one kid with not a great imagination. It's like, I want a bowl of colors. Like a col- what kind of food? I don't know. Just colors. It's just eating paint. They don't have paste in Neverland. So he had to make it up himself. There was the one kid that full on had whatever it was that, that the kid's mom, that Lane Meyer's mom was feeding him and better off dead. It was just like the green ooze with raisins in it. Yeah. I don't know oh. what. My mom can't cook. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, Vanessa, sorry, mom. I know I grew up starved as a child basically but like she one thing she made really well was pineapple fluff and it's like ambrosia salad and I know people don't like ambrosia salad but I because of hook I love the shit out of ambrosia salad because my sister and I uh, even though my mom did not approve we were just taking whipping at each other <laughs> yes. because we love yes. that movie and we love that scene and it's just every time I eat some pineapple fluff some cool whip with pineapples in it every that time foley work is phenomenal that is that like the precursor to ASMR with that that squishiness in that scene? I think you just found the reason why I like ASMR. <laughs> we're, we're opening doors here tonight. Yeah, we are. No, that Healing. that feast scene is so so rad too because again, it's a great set piece and this goes back to Spielberg. We know he knows what he's doing constructing a scene. So he's like, "All right, cool. We're going to do the scene where they're going to have a feast and at first there's no food because Peter, you know, is still kind of lost in his own head he's not truly accepting that he's the hero then holy shit there's a bunch of food and it looks delicious and there's like a dis dis off like between him and rufio like they go back and forth and diss each other so he's getting more and more into who he's supposed to be then on top of it it ends with kind of this somber weird like rufio trying to murder our boy (laughs) throwing a (laughs) coconut at him and peter pan cuts it in half he uses the weapon he hears the rooster and like He's kind of shocked by that. And it's like, oh, that's cool. This fun scene of a feast and the kids throwing food at each other and being silly turns into this moment of like, they're all looking at him. They're like, holy shit, you're Peter Pan now. I don't know if you've accepted it yet, but we're looking at you and you're you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is kind of cool. The thing with that also that this is where like the score led me into more understanding of that scene, which I think is interesting, is that the two halves of that scene... Um, literally in the cue notes are listed completely separately. Like it's not 
one never feast. The first half of it, where it's all imaginary, is called the banquet. And the second half of it, where Peter uses his imagination, is called the never feast because he's actually accepted the mm. fact that it is part of Neverland. He's actually there. I mean, he's not like obviously all in yet, but the fact that he gets to finally use his imagination, like they're split up and they both use the same basic music, but they're done at slightly different speeds and they have slightly different instrumentation. So the second one actually has more chimes to it. It's more magical sounding, which mm. I think is really interesting. This is then so, my lead into the score talk. I was going to say, if we can, let, let's stick with the store, score talk. Because when you came here, how many copies of the, the soundtrack did you bring along with you? I only brought two of my five copies. Right. <laughs> so, safe to say that you're a fan of the score of this film. This is actually my favorite score of all time. Ooh. Of anything. All right. So. So, so, let's talk about that a bit. What makes this the, the best score? For someone that, that is kind of a, a score obsessive like yourself, Yeah. what makes this number one? Um. I feel like, again, like playing very much into like my own tropes within this podcast where I'm constantly like, I wish I would have a Gremlins musical, blah, blah, blah. So, so since Hook actually started as a musical on stage, like Spielberg asked Williams and his lyricist, um, Leslie Brickus, um, who the lyricist, um, you guys would know from Willy Wonka, did the theme to Goldfinger. He did Somewhere in My Memory from Home Alone. Um, mm. So... He and Williams have like a long working relationship, and they were developing this for stage. And so they actually wrote it as a stage musical, and they wrote between 10 to 12 songs um, on it. Yeah. And then only two of them ended up in the actual film. But that's partly why so many. I mean, Williams always has very, very lyrical melodies. Like, there's, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of half truth about the fact that Superman's theme is you can sing Superman to it sort of a thing. Like that's kind of how he works in some cases hook. That's exactly how it is. There are lyrics for actual, a fair amount of the themes in it because they were written as songs. So mm. they're almost have that singable quality to them. Um, but one of the things that also with that, that I think is interesting is that, thank you, is that um, this, at the time of its release in 91, um, partly because of the musical aspect of it and partly because of the length of it, because Spielberg had originally talked about wanting to do it as a three-hour roadshow, um, <gasps> like the style of like Dr. Doolittle and like you know, old, you know, older movies like that. So this movie has an entract. It has an intermission, like musically, not obviously in the actual film. Um, but it's be because of that that there is there is more musical leitmotifs and themes in Hook than previously in any other John Williams score up to that point. Um, there's just so much going on and so many layers to it. And I just, I love it. Like the like technical <laughs> aspects of a side, it just, it hits me right. So I love it. Right in the feels. So let me ask this question. With, with it being a musical kind of at its inception, was there ever a discussion of kind of, or have you heard it? Was there ever a discussion of kind of reanimating it and bring it back as a musical kind of in the, the jukebox musicals that we have now kind of. So it's really weird in that. So I, in trying to prepare notes for this, like I reread the liner notes that were prepped a couple years ago for the expanded soundtrack. And I was reading excerpts of Spielberg's biography. Um, and everyone is super cagey about mentioning where all those lyrics are now and no one seems to say, oh, yes, they all exist. They're, you know, they're here. Everyone's really vague about it. One of the songs, it's lyric, uh, it's the childhood theme. And um, 
its lyrics exist and some fans put out a version of it where they actually you know sing like a, they hired a you know a singer and had her actually sing to it um and it's it's super cool to hear that version because it doesn't exist in the film as it is but but no weirdly they don't exist somehow or no one's talking about it it's very weird they're absolutely filthy so they had to be <laughs> john williams wrote just terrible limericks to the whole thing it's like the whole aspect of childhood where it's like how many bad words do i know and then it's just it's nothing it's like a george carlin bit they cannot leslie brickus and uncle luke bring you hook they were going to release it in new york before they turned times square all around and disney fight it and it just didn't work in that atmosphere anymore that's how we got Anastasia. Hey. I will pay that $100 and make that a podcast. Watch out. <laughs> that play was a visual you won't. delight. I will watch Anastasia. Uh, do other people have any opinions about the music since I've now gone off on it? Music's wonderful. I think the music is incredible as a John Williams fan. I mean, you know, I, I love scores. Um, I think this is uh, something that is not only just um, uh, musically incredible, but it's, it is something that I can like meditate to. It is something I listen to when I am doing work. I do find myself though being so affected by the score that I have to skip um, really intense the, the fight scenes because I can feel my heart rate getting up. And I'm like, why am I so stressed out right now trying to write this email? It's making me so. Oh, okay, I gotta skip this song right now because it just gets my it gets my emotions going. Like that's how powerful. Um, a lot of John's William, John Williams' music can, can be for me. So I have to be very uh, critical about what I listen to at work writing emails. Because be, I'm so sorry. That was influenced by this song from by John Williams. Let me rewrite that email one more time. I used to work in an ad agency. And there, I had just started there. And I was walking down the hallway. And I was like, someone's watching Hook in their office. Because I could hear the music. But I like couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And I went and got some folks in like in my suite. And I was like, do you guys hear that? And they're like, what? I was like, someone is watching Hook. I hear it. And they're like, you're crazy. So a couple of weeks went by and we had a big agency meeting where they're going to show us this, uh, this test commercial they were doing for a fairly large local bank at the time, but they hadn't picked the music for it. So they rolled it and they had cut it to the prologue to Hook as a placement music. And I felt so vindicated and so terribly nerdy at the same time. So I couldn't enjoy my victory. I was just kind of like, yes. That's wild. Like, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> Amazing. Um, going back to the dead baby Peter Pan. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. I did want to come back to that because that is such a gigantic revelation yes. for everyone please, in this room. Please talk more about dead baby Pan. We need to, we need uh, to come back to that. The thing that just kind of struck me is, and maybe, uh, Matt, you can speak more to this. So there's the sequence. <laughs> you you understand. Matt, Matt is a pro. You know about <laughs> dead baby Peter Pan. The go-to person for dead baby information. But the whole film is so much about death. And I think what's really great about Hook, which ties into the music, um, is that it has that melancholy to it. Mm -hmm. It's at what you're saying. When you listen to it, your emotions get so swept up into it because the whole movie they're talking about, to die would be a great adventure. To live would be a great adventure. Mm -hmm. I've, all I've done is killed Lost Boys. Oh, Rufio died. There's a lot of death there. And I think the movie's trying to at least communicate this idea of living and living your best life, I guess. <laughs> um, but what's cool about the music is that when the kids come back, and like uh, Moira sees them, she's mm -hmm. like, holy shit, the kids are back. It's like Ooh. this very angelic theme, and it's like 
this choir of angels. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the heaven thing, and them returning from this heavenly place. So mm-hmm. it all ties into the dead baby. So <laughs> just bring well, it all back. I mean, you have your big bad, whose main enemy is literally time chasing yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. And you know, oh, Adam had something. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm gonna take it to a direction. Finish here. No, it's gone now. When Moira drops to her knees. When she sees her kids, yes, that's one of the most emotional um, scenes of the whole movie for me, mm-hmm. and it makes me cry every single time. Between the the music, between just how kind of odd the the scene is, they they come in, they see her, they call her an angel, mm-hmm. and she's got that leaf on her shoulder, and then they just just don't even say that's their mother. They don't. They just call her an angel, and then they lay back in their beds like they just weren't gone for a period of time, and then. She wakes up and sees them, and then she drops to her knees and sees her kids. Just that whole kind of oddness of that scene, and then the emotion in that music makes me cry every single time, because all of a sudden, everything's back to normal. Yeah. I feel like I love the, I love the, like, the uncertain oddness of the opening of that, where they're, yeah, they're, they don't refer to her as mom, yeah, yeah, But, like, that's one of the things I think is interesting about Neverland, Including dead babies. I'm, I'm shocked that you didn't know. <laughs> I'm so like it blows my mind. I'll follow this. It's <laughs> like I feel like with that is this concept of I personally I don't feel like time works in a linear fashion in Neverland. This is we're getting a little hoity here, but like I feel like that's one of those things where time operates on different planes for different people, and it therefore in that case ages Peter to a point while he's in Neverland, and then it decides that's the point he's going to stay at for a while, or Hook, it keeps at a certain age for longer. He's still aging, but at a much more gradual pace. But other people, I feel like it all operates on a very different plane, because at least for me, jumping back to what you were saying about where the kids return, I feel like a lot of it has that kind of a, a dreamlike quality, like that weird point where you kind of wake up and you're not quite certain if you're still dreaming or if you're, you know, actually back to reality. I feel like that's a lot of like that coming between Neverland. Sort I call of that La La Land. <laughs> I'm not quite, I'm not quite awake, but I'm not quite asleep. But I feel like I'm in between. I call it La La Land. I feel like that's a lot of where those transitions are, and I feel like that's kind of why, like Jack's memories kind of come in and out. Is I feel like it's a lot of that. Are you asleep? Feeling to mm. it. Come on, Adam. <laughs> you were gonna go a different direction. Oh no, I'm just going to add on top of that. that it, I feel like the takeaway of all of this is that the things, most of the things aside from John Williams' score that people like about the movie is just the story of Peter Pan. It's not Hook. It's the... the <laughs> Eric is vibrating again. <laughs> now I love everyone. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I think you have a point. I, I love the story of Peter Pan I read the book as an adult and I remember just reading it and, and reading parts that would be like a children's book. And you're just like giggling because it's like, Oh, this is like so funny, but fun on like a very innocent level and growing up with the story. Um, like I said before the Mary Martin version, I, I wore that tape out <laughs> and like I watched it constantly. And so the story itself is something that I absolutely adore. I love hook specifically because it is that, that different take. Um, as a latchkey kid, I I definitely identified with that feeling of like, why isn't anybody coming to my baseball games? Like, why, you know, do you not come to my plays? Why, you know, and as an adult, you understand like, 
money does not grow on trees. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to put food on the table. But, you know, so you can, I identified with the kids and then I understand now what it's like to be an adult and have to take care of kids and have to be there and have to give yourself and forget yourself, forget where you came from in order to kind of like provide now this new life. And I just, I think Hook is that all-encompassing story where it has so many different layers to it that you might not get at first and then maybe get later. And even like, even Hook himself is, I think, a really good representation of that because he is so flawed, but so relatable and so scary yet so nice and I think the whole movie has that that whole tie-in to it um even with the dead babies because there's that (laughs) there's that that whole idea of like they paint it as like they don't want their children and that's why they end up in Neverland but really at the end you find out of course they want their children of course they they want to be there for them and love them and they want that opportunity to do that and i think the end was a really great way because like more drops to her knees and it's like oh my god where have you been and you know the kids are just kind of like oh we're here love me so yeah i think it does a good job of playing into that trope too that's kind of popular in a lot of stories where you, you know, as a kid, you desperately hope your parents are secretly cooler than you actually believe they are. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's it's seen a lot in the orphan story where it's like Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. is raised by his, you know, boring aunt and uncle. And, you know, Harry Potter is raised by his shitty aunt and uncle. <laughs> really, you know, their parents are heroes or villains or just more interesting. And in this case, it's like, you know, you think, you know, Jack and Maggie think their dad's just just terrible disappointment and failure as a father. And it's like, hey, psst, he's really Peter Pan. He just has to remember. And then he's just, he gets to be this gallant hero in front of them. And I think that as a kid, ha- having that as part of, you know, your, your imagination that, you know, when your parents disappoint you, but secretly they're kind of a superhero is something very, like, relatable, but, you know, aspirational. I think it also delves into um, the sliding scale of maturity versus just growing up. Um, cause like in the beginning when Jack's describing how his dad acts at work, Wendy's like, oh, you became a pirate. Like you're focused on defeating people. You're focused, you're not focused on having fun. You're focused on like winning and like winning a war. Um, obviously the, the lost boys are not like a good role model to be a parent. Um, so it's kind of like Peter has to go back. He had to grow up out of that phase and then he grew up too much into the pirate phase and he had to reel it back to like be a well-rounded person and a good parent. Like you can't just focus because he was, he was not just trying to put food on the table. He was to the point where his career was his life's mission and he was missing everything else because he wanted to be like, he wasn't trying to be a successful father anymore. He was trying to be like number one businessman. Mm -hmm. Um, So he had to get that level of perspective of, yeah, you can be a good father without being a missing father and being the best businessman of all. You, you can it's okay to still have fun. It's okay for your children to act like children. It's okay for you as an adult to some like sometime act like a child. It won't break the world. Yeah, and that's why the opening's actually such a cool sequence because literally, I know I was being like kind of an ass before talking about it, but he's there watching a play of his childhood of his life and he's not paying attention. He's focused on something else. And literally that is his life in front of him. And uh, Moira even says, hey, you're missing it. You're missing everything that's happening there, which is kind of a cool takeaway from a kid's movie or a movie that is aimed at kids, like to teach you that and boiling down what everyone has just said, when you're in those places, when you're stressed and you're an adult and you're like, fuck, I didn't 
pay for this or I got to do this over here. It's like taking a second to be like, mm. oh, wait a second. Have fun with it. Don't get too stressed out. It's just life. Do your thing. Don't get crazy and bug down. So if there's a cool message that it's like giving, I think that's it. It's very hopeful. I think that's a great way to start to draw down a bit. So what I want to do just a- as we kind of come into the, the end here, I want to kind of go around and just get everybody's final thoughts on Hook. And we'll, we'll start with Kara. It's a lot of pressure. Um, I think it's it's a fun adventure movie, and I think that's why it's still really fun to watch. But it, it's I get I feel like I've gotten to watch it two ways. I've gotten to watch it as a kid with the first you know that was the first version of me to watch it, and now I watch it very differently as not only an adult but as a parent. And it hit the emotional the way it hits me emotionally is different now, but still you know really intense and you know really good. Adam, I, I wish you would give this movie another chance. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen this movie so many goddamn times. It has gotten all the chances. You're not watching it correctly. That's what I said. That is literally what he said. Stop, stop doing, stop doing it wrong. Just enjoy the moment. Have fun. Yeah, I would say, I I did watch it as a kid, so I do have that nostalgia factor. Um, rewatching it, there's obviously some points where suspension of disbelief has to work a little bit harder as an adult than it did as a child. But I'm 100% on board with that. I'm like, this is just. A silly movie. It follows its own internal rules, which is where my suspension of disbelief will fall apart if it does not follow its own internal rules. Um, but I'm waiting for your hundred dollars so we can watch Spider-Man Two. Yeah, Peter Pan is is uh, it, Hook is not Spider-Man Two, so I will not go on a tirade for half an hour. Um, bonus episode. Yeah, bonus episode. But yeah, like I didn't read the book until I was in my twenties, and so maybe that's why I don't love the book as much as I love the movie. Um, and why I thought Peter was a little shit because I was an adult and I was over that sort of childlike mentality. Um, but I think the movie does a really good job of like trying to rein you back to that. Like you should let your inner child out more. Like you don't have to just be stuffy, buttoned up businessman on your cell phone 24 seven, making business deals. Like you can crawl in the doghouse with your dog and your kids and play and have fun and still be like a successful person. My, aside from all the other things that we've talked about, because otherwise I'll go off about the score for another hour, is um, in HBO's recent documentary, Spielberg on Spielberg, um, Hook is... Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Spielberg's in that? (laughs) Um, He he doesn't even mention Hook. Hook isn't even mentioned in his entire oeuvre. Um, There are two shots of it um, completely in montages. And I think that is because he's gone on the record so many times talking about how much of a disappointment it is to him. And I think that this is another example of, not to to go hoity again, but like as an artist, when you put something out into the world, especially at this mass level of mass consumption, um, people connect with it. And I would hope that whatever personal feelings that he has about a disappointment in terms of his own insecurities about how he directed it or how he felt about it, I would hope that somehow at some point it it gets through to him how much this resonated and connected with lots of people to the point where they not just like it, but love it. And I think that that's a really, really interesting aspect about, again, putting that kind of art out there is that even though, even if it's flawed or even if it has some people who are dissenters to it, I feel like it is still, um, I'm, I am so happy that we have Hook. Despite everything I have said, <laughs> I don't 
hate Hook. I just, I feel like, I just, I think I expect more from, like, Spielberg doing Peter Pan than to just kind of retell the story and then meld on the workaholic parent learns what's really important. That was the plot of, like, every other family movie in the 90s. And I guess, because, I mean, I'm not the first to say that Spielberg himself is kind of a Peter Pan figure. And I feel like it's such a personal story that I expect more. And I don't think he really delivered that. Also, the other thing I was going to say is that the crocodile in this movie doesn't make any sense and it's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That is where the suspension of disbelief I mentioned comes in. He trapped it. I don't understand what you don't understand. (laughs) It was just hibernating. It wasn't dead. Yeah. It burped. It clearly ate him. But it didn't. It just fell on him. And And then then he must have jumped down his throat because he was suicidal. He's like, well, finally my time has come. (laughs) Literally, the ticking clock has got me. I can finally uh, be rid of all. He of got this the nonsense. death that he wanted. Like I don't understand what you don't understand. Lost, <laughs> lost to one of his greatest rivals. He couldn't defeat Peter Pan, but he could lose to the the alligator. That is the end of my piece. Continue. Oh, okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. Hand over face. I I hear what you're saying. <laughs> But even despite all of its quote unquote, and I'm, I'm using air quotes for you folks listening at home, issues, I love it. I love, I, it's a melancholy story. There is nothing about the actual story of Peter Pan that's supposed to be all the time jolly-go-lucky. And I love those dark and sad parts about it. Um, not that other movie kind of sad because that was a little too much. But this one, I think, is just the right amount of where you're, you you feel it. And when they're happy, you're happy. When they're sad, you're sad. When they're triumphant, you're triumphant. And I absolutely loved it from start to finish. Um, I'll always love it. Uh, it's pretty much despite what all the haters say. Not to go out of order, but I'm just going to say I'm not going. <laughs> I am not going to. Cut his mic, please. Tell anyone Pencils that they down, Mr. Lubitow. Love Hook. I'm just going to explain why I don't love Hook. You are all allowed to love Hook. Yeah, but this is the internet age where you either have to agree or disagree. Yeah. And so, since you're telling us you don't love it, you're saying that we're not allowed to love it. So therefore, we have to argue with you and hate you. Shun the non-believer. Yeah, shun, shun. the non-believer. <laughs> I support you, I Adam. Support You're not okay. welcome Thank in you. our pillow floor. The few supporters I have. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Erin. You're welcome. Not you too. <laughs> I support most people. There's okay. no Switzerland in this debate. Can I be Sweden? <laughs> Everyone said really, really beautiful things about it, so I won't recap the. I love it too. I think it's um, perfect structurally. I think everyone has clear goals and motivations, flaws, desires, like really fleshed out, interesting characters. One thing I want to bring up, and it's something my friends and I always discuss, in every movie when there's like an end fight or an end battle, they're usually lackluster because I think the villains are so villainous and the heroes are so virtuous. And it's like, these two are going to fight. And usually the villain says something stupid like, you can't defeat me, blah, 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 blah. And then... The hero somehow defeats them. And the conversation that they're engaging in within battle itself is like really uninteresting. This final fight in the movie is so crazy and has such highs and lows between. That's why it's called the ultimate war. Yes, it's it's such an ultimate battle. And Peter Pan facing down Hook. Sorry, I'm not crying. <coughs> <laughs> 
there's a point where Hook's wig comes off and he's like this frail old man and everyone's like, oh shit. Like we were kind of having fun, but this dude's like on death's door and he's like old as fuck. Darth Vader moment. Yeah, it's a total Darth Vader moment. And Hook's just like, hey, yeah, let's keep fighting, but can I have my dignity at least? Like, give me back my wig, dude. And like, no, <laughs> he does give it back. Fuck his you. Like, it's true. They should have been like, fuck you, old man. Spit on it. He killed Rufio. Like, fuck you. It's true. It's true. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that's just, to me, that's so interesting that they're having this dialogue back and forth. Uh, that's emotional. He even says to him, it's like, dude, you kidnapped my kids. You killed Rufio. Like, I don't want to fight you. I'm leaving. And he coaxes him back into it. So anyways, it's a long tirade, just basically even this end fight, which is like, of course, we're going to get good versus evil. They still took the time to have character moments, to have a weird, sad moment for Hook where it's like, oh, yeah, this guy is decrepit and um then he still fucking tries to cheat my boy peter pan and <laughs> stab him in the back so tinkerbell shows up and fucks him up and throws him to the to the crocodile so yeah hook's great everyone excellent i will not follow that up so i think that should be the last statement that's made what i will say is i agree with what everybody said i just want to make two comments one, does er, did anyone else recognize Phil Collins as the cop? No. <laughs> I only saw that when I was doing the research. <laughs> I, I screamed to Megan in the other room. I was like, do you know that Phil Collins is in this movie? And then she, of course, said, yeah. And I was like, wonderful. <laughs> and I was like, what was that about? No answer. Should have researched it. Didn't. And then secondarily, my biggest uh, issue with this movie is Gwyneth Paltrow. So... I have personal issues with her as an actress. That's all? Um, I, I love Hook, and I agree yeah. with what everybody else has said about it. And uh, again, the Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, the Gwyneth Paltrow. Is it the Goop thing? Like, I don't know uh, goop, I have issues with Goop on a foundational level, health yeah. and safety foundational level. Her, I, I can't argue with that. I think uh, her in the Marvel Universe is problematic. Um, but was she Gooping back then in 91? She was 19. It was her first screen role. Free goop. First goop. <laughs> Hashtag horror goop. <laughs> horror goop? No! I can't do that to my sister. We will not. Hashtag horror goop. I no. Will grab a no. Hashtag hook goop. <laughs> While Matt plays so, this out, I'm going to open this pack of 1991 sealed hook. I was going to say, it's, it's a very special thing that we've got here. Matt found a I'm pack of unopened. It. Yeah, light that up nice, guys. Oh, yes. See it in sound. I'm going to listen to this. So, Pre- what what do we get? Got Eric's got dibs on the gun. Oh, man. As I say, I don't, I don't feel like I should just read them out loud, but we're going we're gonna to take a picture of them. We'll put it up on the website with everything. So everybody, yeah, I'm sure like, this will pop up on Instagram and, and we post the uh, the podcast. Yeah, there is a Tinkerbell in here. That has, <gasps> as, it's drawn. Yeah. So oh, shit. what was the deal with the drawn Tinkerbell? Oh, her hair kind of I thought terrible. what I read somewhere was that they She's made them like way too early before Julia Roberts was even on set filming her scenes. They like took the production stills and sent them to tops. That's ah. I think the story. I could be completely wrong. I know nothing about that. That's interesting. We didn't talk about that comic book where it doesn't look like any of the actors either. They may have except sent that. Sex, yeah, except it's me. So 
Yeah, as we're coming off the back of this and Matt's checking out his newfound cards that he's got, do we want to talk about the other merchandise real quick as we go out here? The the comic book, the, I don't know, McDonald's collectible cups, I'm sure we're out there. We the, had those cups, those McDonald's cups. Maybe. I totally had, was it was it Happy? Was it Happy? Was it Happy? Or was it, it wasn't, I, I don't know. I was trying I to know. remember if it was Burger King or McDonald's. I know I had the toys yeah. from whatever meal it was. Yeah. There was a bath, yeah, yes, the, the mermaid and him, and yep. Mm-hmm. We did yep, also so forget it's... to mention how awesome Smee was in this movie. He did not yeah. get oh, all the MV Smee, yeah. Well, then, yeah, MVP, he was the Bob MVP of the, of the movie. Yeah. I did also forget to mention a few years ago I was Peter Pan for Halloween, what? and my pixie dust was sprinkles because they're you know eco friendly, and I would just throw them at people. Good, yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was great. I'm the pan I... now. Oh, yeah. I saw Rufio at Comic-Con, and he presented the sword to me. He <gasps> said, you are the pan. Why did you not say what? something Why did you sooner? bury that lead? You also <laughs> stole his hair. I did kind of steal his hair. I don't have it. No, he did keep it after he presented it to me because he was... <laughs> Took it right he's back. he's a little shit. Yeah, he's a little <laughs> shit. He's a selfish little child. I feel like as, as a nice little like aside in here, Adam also was Peter Pan once. He was very cute. Aw. I saw it. I don't understand, though. Okay, There was a lot of leaves... You were and Peter not much Pan, else. but you don't like Hook. Do you like Peter Pan? You just don't like Hook? Or were Correct. You... Okay. Also, okay. yes, I okay. was literally <laughs> the, the Pan from the PJ Hogan version. Sorry, also how he gets his costume, people. Like, that's so rad. He doesn't pull out, like, a dusty trunk. And oh, he's I like, oh, it. here's my costume. It's like, no, motherfucker goes through, like, a bunch of trees. And then he comes out the other end, and somehow he's wearing his costume. Oh, and it's it. like, so great. fuck yeah. No time right for that. Yeah, no time for that shit. No time for pants. Literally, yeah. So I, I guess we'll we'll tie it up now that everybody's kind of had their lost thoughts, uh, last thoughts, and awesome. lost thoughts. It was very Freudian, eh? Yeah. Um, and, and Matt's going through his cards. Um, let let's tie it all together with a nice little bow. We've talked about you know the the evolution of what happens to you as you grow up, and you kind of lose track of what's fun and what's not, and you kind of want to engage in, in stuff that made you happy when you were a kid. It just so happens we have a film festival. <laughs> November 8th, 9th, and 10th at the Cinema Theater in Rochester. That's kind of the point of this whole thing. We talk about the movies that inspired us to rent out a theater for three days and play movies that we're really super excited to show you. Um, Because we kind of want you to be our Lost Boys. Hang out in the theater with us and and engage in that fun that you had when you saw this in the theater. Um, So that's what we're we're here to do. Uh, Just to throw it out there, we did just launch our Indiegogo a few days ago, so you can find it through our, our social media. It's Anomaly Film Fest on all of them. Facebook, uh, MySpace, Friendster, um, Orkut, um, but also the real ones like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, check them out there. It's it's at Anomaly Film Fest. We're so thrilled with the folks that have helped us out so far. We're just about 20% toward our goal, which means we have 80% less to, left to go, and we need your help. It's going to be an amazing party, but it won't be a party without you. Amen. From the bottom of our hearts, we really want to see you there. We really need your help. Come make our weird horror fantasy wonderland a reality. <laughs> There's my hard sell. Now, what I want to say is we have another episode coming soon, and, and our friend Vanessa... Oh, no. <laughs> so she got us looking for this movie... And it was a, a quirky rom com. Star- I don't know starring if it was good more. or not. I don't remember. So, but what what happened was she had us looking for it. We didn't know where we were going, but what we found was nothing but trouble. <laughs> Coming soon to Anomaly Presents. Nothing but trouble. See you next time, everybody.
If you want to learn more about Rochester and Buffalo's wide range of diverse cuisines, Nominate Meals might be for you. The fun part is you have no idea what you're going to get until you pick your meal up at one of our fantastic events. All you have to do is go to nominatemeals.com and order a meal for two for $40 that features dishes from one small, typically minority-owned restaurant. We run events at Three Heads Brewing, Fatty Beer Company in the neighborhood of Play, and also Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo. We offer drink pairings for sale that pair with each dish for that night, which really adds to the experience. Go to nominatemeals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event and join the nomination.